Let's talk about how to dig a grave. Yeah, let's. <laughs> see, what, see, once you bend over to... Oh. Oh, I'm holding that. <laughs> once you bend over to start uh, throwing the soil out, yeah. that's when you will feel the difference of an enclosed space. You don't realise it's, it's actually that deep until you're down in the hole. Aye. I want to pause right there to give you the picture. There are two men digging a grave. It's their job. They're grave diggers. But they're no longer digging. Kathy is. Kathy Fitzgerald. She's a radio producer with a shovel in her hands. Oh, I see what you mean. Aye. Okay, so suddenly you're really, you are really underground, you're, aren't you're, you? You're definitely underground. Yeah. And the sensation of you getting that up and throwing the soil over there. Uh, throw it away, <laughs> that's it. Uh, Kathy says she prepared for her interview with the gravediggers like she usually does. She planned out some questions, wrote them down, and at some point, she tried to imagine the world from the experience of the gravediggers. That's the whole gig, isn't it? It's like um, that sort of imaginative, imaginative inhabiting of their lives. And the more you can do that, then the more you can ask exactly the right question at the right time. But sometimes questions don't suffice. Doing can be more informative. In this case, grabbing a shovel and climbing in. Yeah, I mean, why not? That sort of sense of the impartial journalist has just never interested me at all. I mean, it's always just seemed like such a boring place to be. You know, why do you want to be on the outside when you can take part? Hang on. It's, it's not as easy as you think. I didn't think it was going to be easy. It's definitely not. No. That's just stuff. But you do get a sensation. See, yeah, but it's surprising. I know this is an odd thing to say, but it's... It's surprisingly okay. By doing it, it meant I could look the gravedigger, Stevie, in the face and say, this is how I feel. And he could say, yeah, because that's what it's like. That's what we feel every day. It's just, a, it's just a different way of getting inside someone's skin. I would think that... It's not scary. It's not scary to yep. think... I would think that standing in a grave inches above a coffin. But it's not. It just feels... It feels right. There's something about it feels, it feels right. right. It feels yeah, really it's personal, right. It's personal. Yeah, it is. It's personal and it's... It's because it's soil and it's earth and you're digging it out. you got a comfort from and it. And it's person-shaped. It it's is. The, it's, it's person-shaped. The smallness of it is it actually is. quite comforting. Right. Right. It is quite narrow when you're in there. But it's also something about this is what we come down to. This is what we come down to at the end, and this is not so bad. Aye. I don't know why it's not so bad, but... On this episode of How Sound, getting inside someone's skin. Hi, everyone. Rob Rosenthal here. I'm the host of How Sound, the backstory to great radio storytelling. How Sound comes to you from PRX and Transom. My ears perk up when I learn Kathy Fitzgerald has produced a new documentary. She never disappoints. Her work tends to be sonically rich and fantastical. I'm used to being disappointed when it comes to magic carpets. The rug in the hall's never shown any sign of taking off. But that doesn't stop me wishing. I'm waiting for someone to tip the world up like a snow globe so I can fly away into all that blue. The Magic Carpet Flight Manual. Chapter 1. Take off. Kathy says sometimes story ideas come to her when she's just waiting for the kettle to boil. Well, if so, I definitely want to drink what she's drinking. Charles Dickens' bedroom, London. It's the middle of the night, 
and the room is dark and empty. Except it's not empty. His feet have passed here, and this cold winter night, there are ghosts in the air. As the opening line of a Christmas carol almost reads, Dickens was dead to begin with. He gets up and dresses quietly. A young man, flamboyant waistcoat, hair just so. The sleeping house is silent. He lets himself out into the London streets. I follow. I've been following him for years, in libraries, on the page. He's crept into the way I write, the way I think. I find myself talking to him now and again. And now and again, he talks back. When you get it wrong. What often sets Kathy's work apart from other producers is Kathy. She's present in her pieces in a way that's, well, it's sort of like you see her, but it's not about her. She manages to keep the subject front and center. Like the grave digging clips we heard, she's clearly standing in the grave digging dirt, but the focus is still grave digging, not her. And through her reporting with her curiosity and her hands, a deeper understanding comes through. You know, we get to go and do these amazing things. And um, if we can bring back some of that experience that we have, you know, we don't have to shut ourselves out of the story. You know, we go, we have these amazing experiences with people. And um, I think it's nice to include some of those sensations, some of our feelings, our experiences. You know, it paints a, it paints a scene. It makes some, somewhere real and it makes somewhere tangible. You know, it brings a person to life. A person or a reindeer, like Sniff the reindeer. Oh, he was a very cute reindeer. What's he called? Snoosko. Snoosko. Snoosko, yeah. What it's does like Snoosko a... mean? A sniff? Yeah, sniff. <laughs> yeah. Our reindeer's called Sniff. Yes. If you want, he goes forward and fast. You can swing the rope. Go, go, go. Hop, hop. And if he goes well, you just hang the rope on your hand. Yeah. Not too tight, because then he thinks that you're going to slow down. I'm driving a sledge through a dark forest at night with the help of Sniff the reindeer. It's minus 20 and I'm wrapped up in a coat as thick as a duvet. The path's narrow and as I drive along it, I brush past trees covered in tukalobi, tree snow. And at the end of the track, a reward for hungry reindeer, dried green lichen. So this is like a chocolate for the reindeer. Very, very delicious. And they can smell this under one meter snow. It's not a strong smell. No, but it's nice, isn't it? Yes. It's very fresh. Nom, 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 nom. He's got a very frosty nose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Antti Lacala. Part-time reindeer herder, part-time tour guide. All-time nice bloke. The fur is so soft. Yes, it is. We've stopped in a silent clearing in the nighttime forest. Never seen the stars so clearly. Yeah, there is big bear. The big bear, yeah. yeah. And as you can see, there's not so dark at all. It's no, it's not so dark. Because snow, the snow gives a lot of light. Do the reindeers behave differently when it snows? When it's very cold, very cold, minus 40. And then it's, uh, the weather changes and uh, starts to wind from the south. 
and comes a more warmer air. Then these reindeers, they're going very happy. So they run around that fence. So a happy reindeer runs? Yeah, and they jump like a small rabbit. <laughs> Do you talk to your reindeers? Yeah, sometimes. Do they ever talk back? Sometimes they're doing like... I feel you. <laughs> I think everyone should uh, spend a short time with yeah. these reindeers. Yeah. Here in the between the silence. Yeah, I like the big winter silence a lot, actually. Yes. Typically, a producer will interview someone in a quiet place and then spend time with the interviewee as they do their thing. Later, the producer mixes those two elements together. Kathy, on the other hand, prefers interviewing on location. She wants to capture humans being, as she puts it. Right from the very first program I made, I felt as if the thing that I didn't like about radio was the quietness and the disembodiment and, you know, that sense that somebody was, a, was just a voice. Um, and I wanted them to be in a place. I wanted them to... Because if they're in a place, we can enter it. You know, if they're in a place, then we can feel it around them. And, um, you know, we can walk into the room as well. Whereas if they're just a disembodied voice, I think it's a, it's a harder thing to connect with somehow. What do you like about interviewing? Oh, God, it's just an excuse to be horrendously nosy. Wonderfully, delightfully, deliciously nosy. I mean, it's the best job in the world. The fact that we can just, you know, we can... Oh, that we get to share these incredible kind of deeply charged, intimate, honest, authentic little moments. Just these perfect little exchanges where just you get to be two people in a room for an hour or two hours and, you know, the world disappears and it's just, you know, all that really matters is, I don't know, whether you get to something a bit truthful. To get at the truth, Kathy has a note by her desk. It's a reminder. Make things happen. And that's what she did in a documentary she produced in 2017. It's called Mirrored. She used mirrors as a prop. Interviewees looked into a mirror while Kathy asked questions. I thought that people would be able to talk to me in a different way if we did that. That, um, you know, almost that they would be having a conversation with themselves as much as with me. So they, it would help. I wondered if it would help them forget about me to a certain extent. And, and it kind of did. So my parents are Buddhists and every Saturday someone from their district hold a meeting at their house and today it was my mum's turn. So there's some chanting going yeah. on downstairs so that's why it sounds like bees. Yeah. <laughs> Iona, age 11, lives in Camberwell, London, loves to dance, plans to wear orange trousers when she's grown up. So imagine yeah. you're an artist doing a self-portrait. How would you describe your face? Um, I like my small, stubby nose. And I've got a really big smile. And I've got big cheekbones from my mum. Yeah, not such a big forehead, though. Deep brown eyes, and my face is light brown. Everyone said I've got a washboard tummy. <laughs> yeah. I've got really big feet, too. I'm size seven. Do you like your feet? Yes. You don't, you don't mind that they're big? No. Would you look in the mirror when you're happy or when you're sad? No, when I'm happy, I look in the mirror. Do you? Yeah. Why is that? It's nice to see. And so I like seeing my smile. 
How does it make you feel when you see your smile? Even happier. Do you think you can see the kind of person you are on the inside from the outside? Yeah. Some people say that eyes give away the soul or something. So if you look in your eyes, can you see your soul? Yeah. What does your soul look like? A great ball of blue. Oh. I always thought a soul would be blue. Something blue that floats around. Like a pinball machine that's bouncing around inside (laughs) you. (laughs) What do you think your face might be like when you're 60? I don't think it's going to be very wrinkled. Not very wrinkled. Maybe a little bit wrinkled. Mm. Uh, My cheekbones would be more saggy. Yeah. So what do you think your body might feel like when you feel old? It might feel sad, my body, because it can't do the things that it did before. If the mirror was sort of a recording device and it could record a message to you when you're old, what would you say? Keep the soul bouncing. Keep the soul bouncing? Yeah. Kathy believes she's had a successful interview when the artifice drops away, when the interviewee no longer feels like they're being interviewed. They're not giving answers. They're humans being. Now, of course, bringing a mirror into the mix during an interview, along with all the radio gear, that seems like an inhibitor. It might get in the way. To combat that, Kathy says for any interview, in front of a mirror or not, she makes sure she's fully present. When I walk up to somebody's house, I have a little ritual where I actually just uh, quite consciously put myself aside and I think, I really do, I will just listen to my feet on the floor and I will think about what's around me and I'll listen to the birds and, you know, just all that sort of quite basic meditation stuff, but just things to slow myself down and things to get me out of my head. Because I think that's that's the problem. If you kind of turn up and you're full of yourself, there's not really much room for anyone else. Typically, she sits side by side with someone she's interviewing. So that they don't have to necessarily look me straight in the eye. If you're doing a confrontational interview, fantastic. But if you want someone to kind of, you know, drift away into their own dream worlds and their own feelings, then it's much better if they don't have to look at you all the time. Martha, age 17. So in here, I've got different palettes and different nail polishes. Dreams of having her own makeup brand. Dandelion, Bella Bamba, Sugar Bomb, Rocketeur, which is one of my all-time favourite blushes. Lives in Kendall in the Lake District. Random lipsticks, just... What's your favourite lipstick colour? Oh. Do you want to just turn the mirror around for me? (laughs) No. (laughs) Can you describe what you're seeing objectively? Um, my skin is very pale. My nose is quite wide and long. My lips are very full. And then my eyes are quite wide apart, very blue. But they often look different colours with different clothes that I wear, which is difficult because you've always got to try and match it. And then... My hair's very long, blonde and curly. So what would you change if I could? Um, I'd make my nose smaller. I don't feel like it fits properly on my face. I just feel that it's a bit too prominent. And then my cheeks are really 
chubby. I was the only person from my primary school to go to this secondary school. And I'd been so sheltered from everything growing up in such a small village. And then everyone's already talking about makeup and boys. So that's when heavy foundation and concealer came in. So I'd have no dimension to my face. It'd all be the same shade. All of my freckles were hidden. All of my, or what I thought my imperfections. I didn't understand that one layer of foundation was enough. What would people say? Oh, how are you today, clown face? And the worst part was when it had come from the sick formers and you were only in year seven. So you were, what, five years younger? Nearly seven. And I remember being so tired and so exhausted because I'd have to wake up an hour and a half early just to put on my makeup and to feel like I could face the day. There's still days where I feel so down and I just don't think I look good at all and my clothes don't fit right and everything just... It's a bit of a mismatch. Let's imagine that you can record messages in the mirror. Mm. What would you say to Martha, aged 70? Oh, I really hope I'm still adventuring and doing new things. But I just hope I'm a bit happier with my appearance and how I look. So how were those interviews conducted? I took a mirror with me. So I I had like a backup mirror. And then if they had a mirror that we could use in their own house, we used those. Um, But yeah, in each case, I just, I mean, they knew what they were getting into. So I'd explained it in advance. And um, we would just sit in front of the mirror. And I would sort of make sure that I wasn't in the reflection so they could just engage with themselves. And I would start off by asking them to look in the mirror for a minute or so and not to talk. So we would actually just start in silence. Um, And, um, yeah, and then I'd say, okay, so just describe what you see for me. That freaks me out. (laughs) Yeah, well, how interesting is that? I mean, you know, that's... uh that's really interesting as an in, you know to hear an interviewee if they're willing to kind of freak out with you and to actually say i'm finding this really uncomfortable that's really interesting because we all recognize that so you know for the per- just as much as the person who is incredibly comfortable and confident that's interesting but so is the person who's you know just really can't do it do you want any tea <laughs> i'm gonna have one thin age 30 we're in my flat, which is just behind Walthamstow Central Station. One room to call our own. But my kitchen and my bathroom have doors, so they are separate rooms. I hold on to that. And seven guitars. But there's more under the bed. <laughs> my hair's a little bit longer than I would like it to be. And I'm consistently surprised in recent years of how many crow's feet there are. But other than that, I sort of think I look exactly the same as I have done since I was about 11. What colour's your hair? Very dark orange. Is that you? That's the real you? Yeah. No, no, that's the real me. I've never dyed my hair. Ginger to the core. Freckles, lip ring, 
and slightly sticky out ears. I can see light through them. So <laughs> Stained glass ears. Yeah, yeah, very slightly pink stained glass ears. What else? I think I can still see remnants of a recent black eye. But other than that, you sort of can't see anything. It was about midnight. As I was walking into a shop, two guys said something, something, lip ring. And as I turned around and was like, oh, what did you say to me? He's turned to his friend and was like, oh, my God, that's a female, that's a female. And what did they look like? Kids, 18, 19, wearing big puffy jackets because it was freezing. And they were shouting while I was in the shop, like, oh, we should go for a walk, we should go for a walk. And then when I left, they were like, are we going to go for a walk, yeah? And I was like, if you want to walk me home, keep me safe, that would be lovely. Yeah, I only live around the corner, so you can walk me home. And then I was like, I just don't understand why you won't tell me what you said. All you have to do is answer a question, and I'm not scared of you. And then he hit me in the face, and then he hit me again, and that's when I fell over. And then by the time I got up, they were walking quickly, but not running by any means, off down the street. And I took myself home. What did it look like the day after? A massive black eye, and then this whole cheek was swollen here. And, um, yeah, it's my teeth and my upper lip where there's not a lot of feeling. Have you had that kind of reaction before? If it was the first time it had ever happened to me, I doubt it would have made me so angry. But there's an accumulative effect, I think. Even when I was a kid, I had all my hair cut off, and I can't have been older than 12 And some sixth formers drove past and yelled dyke at the car out of me and I had to ask my mum what it meant. So people were labelling me before I even knew that they were right. My mum has always said you'd kill them with kindness. But that's quite tiring. A relentless being okay with everything is exhausting. I don't want to spend the rest of my life with a lack of sensation in my face or stab wound scars or anything else I don't want that and you just sort of think okay what do I need to do for that not to happen and that's what I should be doing but what would that require of you um sorry um maybe a kind of censorship that um I'm um, not really willing to do. That's from the documentary Mirrored by Kathy Fitzgerald. Dr. Kathy Fitzgerald, I should say. She has a PhD in philosophy focusing on Charles Dickens. Which reminds me, I should tell you we heard several excerpts from Docs by Kathy, including Dreaming Dickens, Burns Slush, the Magic Carpet Flight Manual, and How to Dig a Grave. You can find most of these and many others at her website, kathyfitzgerald.co.uk. Kathy and I spoke for quite some time. In fact, she turned the tables and started asking me questions. That led to a great discussion about how we both would like to improve our interviewing skills. You can listen to that at the post for This House Sound at transom.org. And you'll also find at Transom a really inspiring article by Kathy called Radio in Wonderland. It's a must-read. This is How Sound, the backstory to great radio storytelling. It's produced by PRX and Transom. 
As many of you know, I teach radio storytelling for Transom, and we have two radio workshops open right now. We're accepting applications for a one-week workshop in Adelaide, Australia, but you got to hurry. Applications close May 17th. There's a little more time to apply for Transom's nine-week workshop on Cape Cod. The apps for that close at the end of the month, May 31st. Find out everything at transom.org. John Barth from PRX keeps me from digging my own grave. And I'm ever thankful to WCAI in Woods Hole, Massachusetts, the radio center of the universe. I'm Rob Rosenthal. Thanks for listening. From PRX. And transom.org.